What can the Jets do at tackle? What should they do? We'll discuss today on Locked On Jets. You are Locked On Jets, your daily New York Jets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, this is the Locked On Jets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. It's Wednesday, September 20th, 2023, and I'm your host, John B. from gangreennation.com. Thanking you so much for making the show your first listen or first watch every day. Subscribe to the show for free on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts so you'll get new episodes as soon as they're posted. If you're listening on a podcast source and enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube and enjoy the show, give this episode a big thumbs up. This helps us out and helps other Jets fans find Locked On Jets. Today's episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by PrizePix, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepix.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code lowercase letters LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. Well, today we have our weekly mailbag show. Each Wednesday, we try and do a mailbag with listener questions. Thanks so much to everybody who sent in questions for this mailbag. And let's begin. Our first question, unsurprisingly, deals with the offensive line. Hi, John. Do you think reconfiguring the offensive line, whether by bringing in a free agent or promoting Joe Tipman, would be an overreaction to this Cowboys performance? There is no disputing it was terrible and that blame has to be shifted between the players and coaches and the GM. But there are a couple of factors, lack of time together in the preseason for this combo, the quality of the Cowboys pass rush that suggests this line could improve. And if the other options were really good, they would probably already be starting. So, yeah, there, there's a lot to unpack here with this offensive line performance. Now, the NFL finally put out the all 22 film last night from the game. You know, as much as they charge for NFL plus takes them 48 hours to get up the all 22 film. But once it went up last night, I I took a look at the game and I I really focused on the offensive line. And I think that there's a lot of reasons the Jets struggled so much up front. But one thing I can tell you is I don't think there's a single offensive lineman who played well on the Jets roster in in that game. I think all five of them really struggled. And it was especially pronounced at the tackle position. I mean, I do think that going up against this opponent this early, this was a tough matchup because of what the question mentioned, how they pretty much had no time together in the preseason, the quality of the opponent. I mean, Dallas has a great pass rush, Micah Parsons, Demarcus Lawrence, uh, just a lot of pieces who were very difficult to match up with. And Parsons's status is kind of like a hybrid linebacker edge rusher. That creates problems because Dallas can essentially run looks where they have four men, four defensive linemen and Parsons on the field at the same time. And Parsons's ability to you know stand up allows them and kind of play a little linebacker. It allows them to move him around. So you always have to account for him. Uh, there was a lot. There's there just a lot wrong there. There's a lot wrong with the way the Jets approached him. I think that Nathaniel Hackett did a horrible job. I don't think that Parsons should have been isolated one-on-one against Dwayne Brown as frequently as he was. I think that on both sides of the ball, the Jets were really outcoached in this game Sunday because I don't think the Jets had an answer for Parsons. And, you know, it's easier said than done, you know, double-team Parsons. Because Dallas moves him around so much, it's difficult to know where he's going to line up. But it just felt like the Jets were just kind of content to let him do whatever he was going to do. And he was going to destroy this offensive line. So it leads us to the question, would it be an overreaction to change things right now? Look, this line performance was so bad that I don't think it would be. And yeah, I understand that you're you're reshuffling, that you're going with a new line, but this line hasn't really played together that much anyway, and they haven't looked very good. 
the problem is, and this is kind of like the people who want to sign Carson Wentz and replace Zach Wilson in the lineup with Wentz. I think you can make an argument that maybe that's the move to make. The problem is, and I don't think you could get upset if they did it. The problem is, is it going to make anything better? And I'm not sure that's the case. I mean, the most logical alignment would be to put Joe Tipman in. Well, part of the problem is I've heard people talk about putting Joe Tipman into the lineup, and I've heard them talk about him replacing three different guys. So you can, he can only replace one player in the lineup. He can't replace Connor McGovern, and he can't replace Dwayne Brown, and he can't replace Lakin Tomlinson. He can only replace one of the three. Now, I think the most likely alignment if the Jets did something like this would be Tipman going to right guard, Elijah Vera Tucker going to right tackle, and then Mekhi Becton sliding from, uh, I'm sorry, Elijah Vera Tucker going to right tackle, and then Mekhi Becton sliding from right tackle to left tackle. Well, the problem with that is that every time the Cowboys put either Parsons or Lawrence inside against Vera Tucker, these are the edge rushers he would have had to block in this game. Vera Tucker got destroyed. I think Vera Tucker held up okay otherwise, but we're going up against the edge rushers. When they played, when they lined up inside against him at guard, he did not block very well. And the response people give is, well, they're tough to block. Well, that's the point. They were tough to block for Brown and Becton, too. And they really struggled. And the other aspect of this that makes it tough is Becton had a bad game, too. So you can get Dwayne Brown out of there. And Dwayne Brown was so bad. And Dwayne Brown's been so shaky through the first two weeks that I think there's an argument to be made that, you know what, you just have to bench him. But the problem is that you don't really have the mechanism to replace him effectively. It's one thing to make a change. You know, we talk about this when the Jets are getting rid of a general manager, the Jets are getting rid of a head coach. Sometimes you have to make a change. It's easy to it's easy to bench a guy. It's easy to fire somebody. What's hard is finding a replacement who's actually going to work out well. So I don't think it's an overreaction. Like the Jets' offensive line is going to play better going forward, just because the opponents they're facing is not going to be as be- are not going to be as good. But I think you have to be worried about this line, the way it's looked through the first two games. Because you know, even if you look at the big runs Brees Hall is ripping off, he's essentially like not getting a lot of blocking. He's just doing it himself. He's just kind of saying, you know what, to heck with it. I'll just I'll just break a big run on my own. I can't get good blocking. So this offensive line is really struggling. You know, the other issue with this is if you put Tipman in, do we know Tipman's ready to play? I mean, I feel like this this coaching staff's not that high on McGovern, who, by the way, had an absolutely miserable game. They they were ready to let him go in the offseason until they it was almost like they had to take him back because he came for so cheap. I think they were ready. They loved Tipman. They were, you know, they drafted him in the second round and he couldn't get into the starting lineup. So is Tipman ready to play? That's an open question. I, I I think that there are more questions than answers right now for the New York Jets on the offensive line. If it was that easy to fix, I think it would already be fixed. Next question. Hi, John. While I understand there's a lot of nuance to this and it's not entirely Brown's fault, I'm sorry, you, you, you just can't, you just cannot convince me that Joe Douglas is not largely to blame for the poor offensive line play. A four-year-old could tell you going into the season with a 38-year-old coming off a major surgery as your starter at the most important position on your offensive line that that's a monumentally stupid decision. I understand that finding quality, quality tackles is difficult, but you should be able to do better than Brown. They could have signed basically anybody and it would have been an improvement. In my mind, it's malpractice and I would add that no team in the history of the NFL has won a Super Bowl with a starting left tackle that old. What are your thoughts? Well, tough to add to that. I agree completely. You know, if you go back to like the early part of the offseason, I got a lot wrong this offseason. But one thing I said was, and I, was, I remember I did an episode where I went through possible Jets cap cuts. And I said that, you know, there's a strong case to be made for most of these guys, whether to bring them back or whether to not bring them back. And the two guys that I felt like, 
were guys, the only two I thought felt like were easy decisions who were just automatic cuts were Braxton Berrios and Dwayne Brown. Because I worried last year, the, the Jets got the last good football out of Dwayne Brown that he was going to provide any team in the NFL. And yeah, you're right. It's not easy to find good tackles, but let's be honest. Joe Douglas has not done a good job with this offensive line. He, he's tried, but you don't get points for trying. I guess, you know, it's better than Mike McCagden not trying to address the line, but that's very faint praise. Joe Douglas has not done Joe Douglas has failed. I mean, to enter the season with a 38 year old coming off a serious injury. You're right. I mean, it's, it's not like it's it's not it's not like you and I haven't talked about this heading into the season how risky this was, and it seems like it's completely backfired. And yeah, I guess Douglas tried to sign guys this offseason. I'm sorry, you don't get credit for trying to sign people. You either fix a problem or you don't, and the problem's not been fixed. And I think it's fair to say Joe Douglas, if this doesn't work out, Joe Douglas deserves a lot of criticism for this because the warning signs were all there, and he just either ignored them or did not have the ability to fix it. And for a team that was taught talking big for a team that was talking about, we're going to the Super Bowl, They were really risking a lot by going with Dwayne Brown, 38 years old, coming off a serious injury. So I agree completely. I think that analysis is fair. Now head here on the lockdown jets podcast. We'll turn our attention to the other side of the ball because it was an ugly game for the New York jets defense. They allowed 30 points to Dallas week two. What were some of the culprits? We'll discuss continuing this Wednesday mailbag edition of Lockdown Jets. This episode of Lockdown Jets is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the largest independently owned daily fantasy plat- sports platform in North America. They're the easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Instead of betting against thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more or less than two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. Prize Picks is so much fun, and it's really simple to play. You can make your picks and submit your entry in less than 60 seconds. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. This week on Prize Picks, you can pick Justin Jefferson for less than 100 yards, Lamar Jackson for more than one passing touchdown. You can pick Odell Beckham Jr. for less than 50 yards, Josh Allen for less than two passing touchdowns. Prize Picks makes it easy, and it's fun to play. Go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. Again, go to prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL and use code LockedOnNFL for a first deposit match of up to $100. prizepicks.com slash LockedOnNFL, code LockedOnNFL, prizepicks, daily fantasy done right. Thank you so much for making Locked On Jets your first listen or first watch every day. And a big shout out to you, everydayers. This is a daily podcast covering the New York Jets. We have new episodes each day through the week, Monday through Friday, and then bonus episodes as we need them. We continue with our weekly mailbag show. Our next question, John, thus far, the Jets defense is allowing quarterbacks to complete 76% of their passes. Dak Prescott completed a whopping 25 passes, five yards or under on Sunday. This is a continued theme from late last season where Minnesota, Jacksonville, and Seattle all had success dinking and dunking all over the field. You have a great eye for this. Do you see anything schematically that the Jets are doing that has allowed other teams to expose Feels like the Jets defense does not game plan for their opponent as much as the opponent game plans for them. Well, I think that that's true to an extent, and I don't think it's necessarily a, a bad thing. Not not the completions, but the idea that the Jets don't really change a lot from game to game. It's a kind of a philosophical thing, I think, for for this coaching staff, where they just believe that they want to put their players running the same plays over and over. And the theory behind it is that. When you do the same thing over and over, guys become really, really good at it, and you don't need to think as much. You know, you, if you see the same, if you're playing the same coverage 
and the other team throws the route combination at you, and you've seen it 49 other times, and it's like the 50th time you've seen it, you're just going to know how to react. So it's like anything, I think they view it as we're just going to keep running these same base set of plays, and our guys are just going to become dominant at it. And I, I think the results are difficult to argue with uh, in general. And I think, you know, the Jets' defense was really good last year. I know it's easy to knock them because of all the backup quarterbacks they played, but look, they've given Josh Allen more problems than any, any defense in the NFL the last two seasons. I mean, they, they might be the only defense that's given Josh Allen the problem, the problems to this extent. So I think it's tough to argue with the results with this Jets defense. I you know, every, every defense has a bad game. They played terribly in Seattle last year, but overall it's a very good unit. I mean, a week ago we were talking about this as a Super Bowl defense. So again, I watched some of the film and even, even before the film came out, I watched some, some, some of the uh, results on the broadcast view that was they immediately posted after the game so you got like the again the cbs angles that they showed you as you were watching the game on tv and one thing that stuck out to me is that the jets defense actually was not bad on first and second down they were just awful on third down they allowed dallas to convert nine of 18 third downs and there were a couple things that that stood out and i actually wrote a couple articles on this yesterday at gangreennation.com so you can check that out uh the first is that i think they picked up a tendency the jets have on third and short and that's to essentially not put as many defenders as the other team has receivers on certain side of the field. So essentially in Buffalo against Buffalo, there were two situations where the bills were in third and short and they stuck three receivers on one side of the field and the Jets only had two defenders there. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. Essentially, you know, it, it, you, you, you do it if you're in zone coverage, because you take the chance that, which is a pretty good bet to make that eventually, even no matter where the receivers start the playoff, the routes are going to be distributed evenly over the field. So you'll put your guys, if you play zone coverage, you'll put them in a position to pick up the guy eventually wherever they run. Well, Dallas picked up on that tendency and they just first, the first time, the first time they did, they did it, they ran a screen. And the second time they did it again, they took advantage of the spacing. The fact that Jets did not have enough guys on that side of the field and they just really targeted that side of the field. So Dallas did a good job, you know, finding that tendency. The second issue though, with the Jets on third down was, Jeff Ulbrich made some incomprehensible play calls. I mean, twice, and this happened, this happened back to back. This happened not back to back, but it happened in the second quarter twice. And it was so bad that the first time it happened, I figured whoever was in charge of like getting the right personnel groupings on the field messed up. But there were two situations on third down where the Cowboys had four receivers and the Jets only had three corners on the field, which it's common sense. I mean, I don't think I need to tell you this that corners are the only ones who can cover wide receivers. And essentially what happened was the Jets ended up with the safety one-on-one against the wide receiver, which is a mismatch 98% of the time. I mean, occasionally there's a safety who's got like corner cover skills and you play him deep or, you know, he's a guy who can move into the slot. Jets don't have a safety who can move into the slot, I don't think. So Ulbrich just called plays that made no sense. And then there's another play where it was the Brandon Eccles pass interference on third down where Adrian Amos is sliding to his left. You have one deep safety and he's sliding left at his snap at the snap. Well, he's sliding left on the left side of the field. You have a tight end who's being double teamed and you have CD lamb who's being covered one-on-one by sauce Gardner, who's, you know, is one of the top corners in the NFL and you hope doesn't need help. And they're essentially leaving Brandon Eccles one-on-one against the receiver with no help. And it results in a penalty. Amos could have helped him. You know, the, the, the guys double teaming the tight end and sauce don't need help. So I, I put a lot of this on Jeff Ulbrich. I thought he called off miserable game. As bad as Hackett's game was on offense, Ulbrich's game was just as bad on defense. I don't worry about the – I need to see more before I worry about the Jets' defense. It's been very good for a couple of years. So I, I'm not in panic mode over the, over this unit. I think that 
they got the players. They just need to execute better. This was bad execution, but also really, really, really bad coaching. Our next question, John, you made an interesting point the other day on the awful John Franklin Myers roughing the passer call. You, sh- you talked about how all plays should be reviewed. My understanding is that a referee would be situated in some sort of sky box. I'm curious to know precisely how that procedure would work. For example, would the officials have to wait for a signal from the referee before starting the next play? Would it apply only, only to penalty calls? Would it eliminate the need for coaches' challenges? Well, there are lots of different ways you could do it. And, and the weird thing is like the NFL, it kind of seems like they've dabbled in the, in the sky judge where they, you know, they kind of put a, uh, an official in the booth and he's kind of watching replays after each snap. They've kind of dabbled in it, but they haven't committed to it completely. Here's how I would do it. And here's the thing that makes no sense about the NFL. We we stopped the games for like five minutes to review like whether a guy got two feet in near midfield in the second quarter, but you don't have a mechanism to to overturn calls that were obviously missed within you know thirty seconds. What I would do is I'd just have a guy up in the I'd have a sky judge I'd have somebody up in the booth who's watching the replay angles. And if it was a really obvious missed call, I'd just have him radio down to the officials and say, "Hey, you missed this call." The other thing I do is I think that you could keep coaches challenges because I'd only use this guy judge for really obvious things or plays that really mattered. But I would say, you know, unless it, when the coaches challenge a play, the whole point is that it's supposed to stand unless there's indisputable video evidence. And when they first brought replay back in 1999, there was like a 90 second limit to reviews. So my view is that if you cannot overturn a call within 90 seconds, it's not indisputable video evidence and they just should play on. And I don't know why, you know, they keep doing this for plays that aren't that consequential, but I just make every play reviewable. And if there's an obvious blown call, this guy judge just radios down to the, to the referee and says, Hey, change this call because they're already kind of doing it. They just haven't really committed to it completely. So I do it for everything, for everything else. There could be coaches challenges and there could be reviews for score. You could keep, you could keep the same system. You could have reviews for scoring plays and changes of possessions that come automatically from the booth. You could keep coaches challenges, just have an extra set of eyes because yeah, we don't. We haven't changed like the number of officials we've had in some time. The players are, you know, everybody complains when the call gets blown against the Jets that like the league's conspiring against the Jets. I don't think that's it. I just think they're blown calls across the board, and the players are just too big and too fast for these officials to be able to eyeball it at this point. And we have the technology to fix this problem. We just don't use it. Now, head here on the Lockdown Jets podcast. We'll close out this weekly mailbag, and we're going to talk about a guy who was inactive on Sunday. Will McDonald, the first round pick, is it time to be worried? I'll give you some thoughts continuing this Wednesday mailbag episode of Locked On Jets. This episode of Locked On Jets is brought to you by eBay Motors. Our partners at eBay Motors have teamed up with Locked On Fantasy Football host Vinny Iyer to bring you some of the best fantasy picks each week all season long. Whether you're prepping for a daily draft or scouting the waiver wire, every week we're going to provide you with players who are guaranteed to fit on your roster. So let's see who Vinny has picked for us in this week's eBay's Guaranteed Fit Fantasy Picks of the Week. Ravens wide receiver Zay Flowers had a fine debut in week one before a more modest week two, but Flowers will go into full bloom while cruising to a big game against a weak Colt secondary at home in week three. Flowers will be schemed open with Baltimore's new look passing game as it continues to find more life with Lamar Jackson. A lot of people thought Zay Flowers was wide receiver one heading into the NFL draft. Vinny Dyer from Lockdown Fantasy Football is going to help you win your fantasy championship, and eBay Motors knows the championship team is all about each player being a perfect fit. The same goes for your vehicle. And with over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof rack, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. 
And with eBay, eBay guaranteed fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebay.com slash motors. Again, that's ebay.com slash motors. eBay guaranteed fit, only available to U.S. customers, eligible items only, exclusions apply. This is the Locked On Jets podcast on this Wednesday show, doing our weekly mailbag. Our next question, John, I know you always say that teams should draft players for the future, not necessarily for the present, but given this was supposed to be a quote-unquote quote unquote, all-in year, is it not organizational malpractice that we spent our first-round pick on a player who is a healthy scratch? Our defensive line room is so deep that we cannot even activate them all on game day, and there are many other position groups that desperately need help. So I come at this from a little, a little different angle. I don't think it's a problem that they drafted a defensive lineman in the first round because for all the really good edge rushers the Jets have, they don't have a star. I mean, I don't think they have a guy who's like a, you can count on to get 10 sacks. I think they have a lot of very good players, and I think that when you rotate them in and out and they can all go full, you know, full energy on each play, it gives you a bit of an advantage. But I think that that was kind of a swing for the fences trying to find a star uh, pass rusher. I'm a big believer in constantly replenishing the pass rusher well because – a year from now, the Jets may not be as deep. Two years from now, the Jets may not be as deep unless they address it now. I remember back in 2010, you know, the early Rex days, the Jets had the best offensive line in the NFL. And at the time, people said, well, why would we waste a draft pick on an offensive lineman? Well, you know, your strengths don't stay strengths forever unless you focus on them. And defensive lines are a really important spot to have good players. So I don't have an issue. I mean, the other question is, who would they have drafted? You know, if you want to talk about a tackle, well, the guy that went right before, the guy that they were going to pick probably was Broderick Jones, who hasn't even gotten on the field for Pittsburgh yet. So you're taking a guy after him. I think that you get into trouble when you start reaching for need. I think the issue is is a little bit more basic with Will McDonald is that I don't care how deep you are. The first round pick should be should be good enough to get activated. As much as we want to act, act like it doesn't matter when a player shows warning signs early in his career, as much as we act like you know the player's quality is the first year doesn't matter, it actually is pretty relevant when you look at the way players' careers typically turn out. You know, you don't necessarily need to be a star year one, but if you're not good enough to get active, that's a pretty I mean, that's a red flag. And I don't want to go too crazy for one game, but if Will McDonald becomes a consistent, healthy scratch, that's a really troubling thing going forward. I think it's more it's always about the player you draft. It's always about the quality of the player. It's not necessarily about the short-term need. Because you can't always count on first-round picks, especially in a draft class that was viewed as not particularly deep as this year's was. You can't really count on immediate production. The Sauce Gardner, Garrett Wilson, Brees Hall draft classes are few and far between. I think the issue is just, if he's not good enough to get activated, that's a pretty disturbing sign just for his the rest of his career. Because, I'm sorry, he should be good enough. He should be one of the top 47 players on the roster. And that's essentially, you know, even if you're deep at a defensive end, you're not you're not so deep that Will McDonald shouldn't be the fifth or sixth, you know, the fifth or sixth best defensive end on your team. It's not like it's not like this is the you know a, a group with Reggie White and Lawrence Taylor and Deacon Jones. It's a solid group of defensive ends, but a first round pick showing promise really needs to be able to to get activated. So I'm hoping that was a one time thing. I don't want to panic over one game, but again, if this continues. I think the issue is not that they drafted the defensive lineman. I think the issue is that, you know, the defensive lineman is not good enough to get active. I think it's a player issue. I don't think it's a need issue because, I mean, look through, tell me which player they were going to draft at a position of need, which guy was going to make an impact. I guess you could say wide receiver. Now, that, that might be a fair point, but 
if Will McDonald was going out there dominating, Will McDonald was looked like he was on his way to being the next rookie of the year for the Jets. Nobody would really be complaining that he wasn't a position of need. People would be saying we strengthened an area, we, we made an area of strength even stronger. People would be praising the Jets. It really always comes down to that. When people always say when the players draft, I don't care if this works out. This wasn't a position of need. And then five years from then five years later, nobody ever cares whether it was a position of need. Anybody only cares about whether or not the player actually worked out. So I don't have an issue with the pick from the standpoint that it was a defensive lineman. I have an issue from the standpoint that you know he's making a minimal impact because I've even I've even said heading into the season that I expect Will McDonald to be a player on this team. I don't expect maybe not going to be a 10 sack guy, but I expect him to get at least like three to four and show that he belongs and flash a little bit of the talent. So that's really what my eyes are on for Will McDonald. Our last question, John friends, lucky enough to not be Jets fans have pointed out that Aaron Rodgers stated he received an innovative surgery and has eyes to return for the playoffs. Am I wrong to think that of Jim Mora in my response, playoffs, playoffs. I'm not a doctor. Look, anybody I've spoken with who has knowledge of what Rogers is going through seems very skeptical that this is going to happen. I mean, there aren't really any examples of anybody remotely coming back before in the time frame Rogers is trying to sell. And Rogers is apparently not the first person who's received this, whatever he, whatever sort of treatment he's getting or however sort of whatever sort of surgery this is. Other guys have done this and not been back in as quick of a time frame as Rodgers would need to to get back for the playoffs. I'll you know I'll never rule anything out. I mean, modern medicine's amazing in many ways. We've seen that so many times over and over. The, the, the stuff they can do today is remarkable. It surprises you. So you know I'll never rule anything out a hundred percent. But it seems like there's a lot of skepticism, at least from people in the know that I've spoken with about this. And you know I think when you're Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers is an immortal player. He's one of the true greats in the history of the game. When you're an immortal player, you just talk yourself. Part of the reason you get to be an immortal is that you talk yourself into the idea that I can do anything, that I can do the impossible. And then he goes out and does it each week. But there comes a point in time where you just can't do it. And it usually comes, you know, in your mid to late 30s where you just can't do it the way you used to be able to do it. And I feel like, you know, there's a chance that might be this point for Rogers because it's not just that people are skeptical. You know, I've told you people I know who are familiar with this injury are skeptical. He can do it. People I know who are familiar with this injury, aren't sure he's going to be able to come back at all. So if he can come back by next year, I mean, that would be something I think it's, I would not get my hopes up. It's one of those things, you know, if it happens, it's a pleasant surprise, but it's not something I would be counting on. Anyway, that's all for today's episode. This has been the lockdown jets podcast, part of the lockdown podcast network. Your team every day is our motto. As always, if you enjoy the show, hit the subscribe button where you're watching or listening so that you'll never miss an episode. If you're listening on a podcast source, give the show a five-star review. And if you're watching on YouTube, give this episode a big thumbs up. It helps us out. helps other Jets fans find the show. Hope you have a great Wednesday, everybody. We'll be back tomorrow to talk more Jets.